Good morning. We are glad you're here today. If you are if you are here today as one of our guests, we want to welcome you. We're so grateful that you have chosen to be here today. We'd love to have you back. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. Joel Taylor asked me to just make a very quick statement about David, his dad. Initially, David had said that he did not want visitors. They were having some issues going on, but now he would like visitors. And the only, really the, the criterion is that that you put on gloves and a mask and a gown. And if you're willing to do that, I know that, uh, I know some of us have done it before, but if you don't mind the trouble, he would love to see you. Uh, David said that he is lonely. And I know sitting in a hospital, or really lying in a hospital bed uh, is not fun. And we want to keep him in our prayers. Uh, Joel said that right now plans are that Following surgery, they're hoping to transfer him to the Shepherd Clinic or to the Anderson Clinic in Houston, Texas. So we want to keep, we want to keep David and Kathy and Joel in our prayers at this time. We are looking today at Psalm 34. Psalm 34. In our lesson today, we're going to be talking about God heals the brokenhearted. This is a follow-up to our lesson from last week based on Psalm 61. When you look at Psalm 34, it's evident David, who is the writer of this psalm, he's in trouble. And if you go back and look at the Old Testament record, you'll find that he was the Lord's anointed. He would be the successor to the kingdom. He would follow King Saul. Saul, however, was envious of David and sought to kill him. As a matter of fact, he sought opportunity time and again to kill David. Many believe that the background to Psalm 34 goes back to when David fled to the city of Gath and sought refuge there from Abimelech, who was the king. Gath was located southeast, or rather southwest, of the city of Jerusalem. And so David sought refuge there. Unfortunately, Abimelech would have none of that. And so he was on the run. In this psalm, you find David literally pouring out his heart to God. And I think about how often in life we face difficulties and circumstances that are not to our liking. There are times in life when we, like David, feel as if we are on the run. And so we retreat to God. We look to Him for refuge. Psalm 34 is a very touching psalm. And David here, in a very candid way, lends insight into where he is in life. It might be that you're here today and you keep a diary. And maybe you write a chronicle on a daily basis of what, what's going on in your life, of where you are. It might be that you take time to jot down the things that are going well in your life. It might also be the case that some of the struggles and difficulties that you face, that in a very candid and personal way, you pen those. And you go back and you read those notes and you remember where you were. You remember those dark places in life, the difficulties that were so common to you at that point in time. And how God brought you through the tough times. In a sense, 
that's where we, that's where we find David. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about David's praise to God. In verses 1 through 3 of this psalm, David praises God. Now you think about the life of David. In this context, David is facing some very tough times. He's on the run. It's as if he is a fugitive, so to speak. And he is being hounded by King Saul. Interestingly, David found himself on the run quite frequently. You remember last week we talked about Absalom, his own son, turning against him. Well, King Saul was jealous, he was envious, sought to take his life, and yet despite his adversity, despite the trials that he was facing at that point in time, he still praised God, which says to me that even in dark times that we face, when we face dark times in life, that we need to keep our eyes on God to remember that God hasn't changed, God hasn't moved, He is still worthy of our praise, and we ought to invoke, we ought to invoke His care on our behalf. So note if you would, first of all, he talks about the greatness of God. As he emphasizes the greatness of God, he speaks of the constancy of his praise. He said, I will bless the Lord, listen to him, at all times, that is in good times, bad times, in joys and sorrows, in adversity and heartache, in times of gladness. He said, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Now you think about what people boast of today. Sometimes people boast about their accomplishments and their successes and how, how well they're doing in life. And yet David's boast was not about his own personal glory and praise, but rather his boast was in the Lord. So we think about the constancy of his praise, and then note, if you would, his call to praise. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I think the idea here is that David is praising God. His desire is that others would hear of his attitude toward God his joyful praise to the Creator of the universe, and that they would join Him in praising the God who created the world in which we live. And doesn't that say something about David? It says something about his faith in God, his trust in God, recognizing that his God was with him wherever he went in life. But then note, if you would, the goodness of God. He accentuates the goodness of God. Look at verse 8, if you would. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Could you not make that same statement to others about God? When you think about how good God has been to you in this life, David is saying to those around him, look, you need to taste and see that the Lord He's good. Why do you think David recognized the goodness of God? I think first and foremost, he recognized God's gracious blessings. Look again at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. O oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want or lack to those who fear Him. You know, David could look at his own life and he could see a lot of difficulties and trials and tribulations that he had met in days gone by. And yet he would say that those who trust in God have no lack. The things that are necessary for life, the things that he needed in life, were there for him. Then he talks about God's generous blessings. He said the young lions lack and suffer hunger. You think about the beast of the forest and how God in His great providence provides for them. The birds of the air. You remember Jesus talked about them in Matthew chapter 6. But He said those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Look, David had it right, didn't he? David knew something about, he knew something about God's greatness. Not only was he mindful of the goodness of God, but he had tasted the goodness of God. Didn't James record these words many years ago? Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above. Didn't the psalmist say, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with blessings or benefits. David recognized that though the circumstances he found himself were not, were not exactly ideal, he still had reason to rejoice and to praise God, to give Him thanks for all the things that He had done for him. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we talk about David's praise to God, but then note, if you would, his provisions from God. Drop down, if you would, and look at verse 15. In verse 15, David says that the Lord's eyes are on the righteous. Look at verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Now Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, quotes this psalm and applies it to those of us who belong to the family of God, those of us who live under the Christian dispensation. When David said, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, there are a couple of thoughts that come to mind. First of all, David recognized that God knew his fears. Listen to what he said. Verse 4, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. What does that say about the God that we serve? It says that God is mindful of everything going on in our life. The fears, the frustrations, the failures. I mean, whatever we're facing in life, God knows about that. Solomon wrote, and Solomon, of course, was the son of David. Solomon said, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Did God know about the fears that David faced in life? Yes, he did. You remember in Psalm 56, David said, whenever I am afraid, what will I do? He said, I'll trust in you. David knew that God in heaven knew all about his fears. He knew about his trepidations. He knew about his trials. And yet, where was his trust? His unwavering trust was in Jehovah God. And then, not only did David 
acknowledged the fact that God knew about his fears, but he said God knew about his foes as well. Then in verse 19, David would say, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I want to challenge you this week to go back and read the narrative following Samuel anointing David as the king over Israel. And you look at the disposition that Saul had toward David. On the one hand, Saul had great respect and appreciation for David. But then on the other hand, he was envious or jealous. It's as if he hated him, sought to kill him twice, tried to kill him with a spear. I mean, this guy was hounding David. Did God know about David's fears? Yes, he did. Did God know about his foes? Again, the answer is a resounding yes. Now, I don't know what you're faced with in life. I don't know some of the things that you're bearing in your personal life, but I know this, God knows. I don't know all the foes that you face on a daily basis. It might be that you're having trouble with people that you work with. It might be that you're facing difficulties from classmates. It might be the case that you've got a neighbor that's been on you from day one. And it might be that you've got a family member that rather than being an ally has become adversarial. And rather than being supportive and cooperative and helpful, is anything but. Well, look, God knows about that. And God understands. There's a second thing I want you to see. Not only did David say that God's eyes are on the righteous, but David said God's ears are open to the righteous. Now that's encouraging. Because David understands something about the privilege of prayer. Listen to him, if you would, again in verse 4. In verse 4, David said, I sought the Lord, and He heard me. What did David do in times of trial? He prayed to God, didn't he? You think about some of the difficulties that you face in life, some of the things that are perplexing to you. Some of the critical situations that, that you face on a regular basis. How do, you, how, do you meet those, how do you meet those difficulties? What's your answer to the troubles and trials and tribulations of life? When you're in agony and sorrow and hurting, and I mean when your heart is broken and you are at your lowest ebb, do you trust in prayer? Do you remember in Luke chapter 22? It was said of Jesus when He was in Gethsemane, and Jesus is bowing His head in prayer to the Father. And he is praying, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Three times He utters these words. Three times He says, if there's any other way, God, let it come to pass. The Hebrew writer said he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death. The picture of Jesus in Gethsemane, literally 
pouring his, his heart out to God. And Luke said, being in agony, what did he do? He prayed more fervently. How did Jesus face the agony of the cross? He faced it with prayer. How do you face the agonies of your life? Are you praying to God? So he understood something about the privilege of prayer, but also the power of prayer. Look at verse 4. He said, I sought the Lord, and He heard me. That's significant. Look, if you would, again, in verse 6. He said, the poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. David here makes reference to himself as a poor man. Now, not materially poor, but he's saying that his spirit, his inward man, is in distress. It is, it's in poverty. He's hurting. The very core of his being has been crushed, and he's crying out to God. And he's saying, the poor, man, the poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. Drop down, look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. How do you think David was able to find his way out of this web of confusion? How do you think he was able to come away from this maze of trouble that had been laid in front of him by Saul? Let me, let me tell you how he did it. He did it with the help of God. He looked to God in prayer. And so David here, understands something about the privilege of prayer. He understands something about the power of prayer. Now I want to say this. In the life of a believer, prayer is a tremendous resource. And we talk about the power of prayer, and sometimes we, sometimes we read verses, but we don't let them sink in. Sometimes we're familiar with passages of Scripture but they don't resonate like they should. James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James is just saying, look, there is power in prayer. James knew that. I think about the Apostle Paul. Paul spent a lot of time in prayer to God. And Paul said, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then he said, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so Paul knew something about praying to God. He knew something about the peace of God. Who was it standing watch over his heart in good times and bad times? It was the Lord. There's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly in our study. And that is David's preservation by God. There are a couple of thoughts here. Number one, David acknowledge, acknowledges that God helps his people. Now think about that for a minute. David knew something about God, didn't he? And David understood and acknowledged that God is in the helping business. So what about 
the help that God afforded him. In verse 4, David knew something about the Lord's power in times of trouble. Look again at verse 4. He said, I sought the Lord, He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, the poor man cried out, the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. David, are you saying that God had the ability to deliver you from the difficulties that you were facing at that point in time in your life? Yes, He is. When the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in his last letter, he talked about the persecutions and afflictions that he had faced in the, city, in the cities of Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He said, and what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Paul understood something about the power and providence of God. Not only did David understand something about the Lord's power in times of trouble. And by the way, do you remember the psalmist of old said, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist there is simply saying, if you read the context, the psalmist is saying, listen, the world could be turned upside down and everything may look chaotic. It might seem as if life is out of control, but there is a God who is in absolute control. And he could say over and over again in the Psalms that God was his refuge. And then... He acknowledges the Lord's presence in times of trouble. I want you to look at verse 7. I've looked at verse 7 several times throughout this week. And I have turned over and over in my mind what David is saying here. And David makes reference to the angel of the Lord. Now, there are some who would say, that God used angelic beings to surround David. But I think what David recognizes is that he had the angel of Jehovah, the second member of the Godhead at his side. Listen to what he said. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Now you think about that. And go back and read in the Old Testament this week about the angel of Jehovah, the second member of the Godhead. And the picture is, here's someone who is, in, who is at camp. He's pitched his tent. And there are troubles and trials lurking. The enemy is out surrounding the camp. But there's somebody greater than the enemy surrounding that camp. That someone greater is the angel of Jehovah. That someone greater is the second member of the Godhead, the one that we know as the Christ, the captain of the host of Jehovah in the book of Joshua. What does that say about the abiding presence of God in our lives? Do you remember when God said to Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1 and about verse 5, he said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then he said something quoted by the writer of Hebrews. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
In verse 8, he said, The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God was trying to encourage Joshua, the new leader of his people. And the assurance is, Joshua, you need to understand something. I'm going to be at your side every single day. Wherever you go, I'm going to be right beside you. Now you tell me, could Joshua look at his endeavor leading the children of Israel into the promised land? Could he look at that with confidence because God was going to be at his side? Yes, he could. And So what David realizes is that God is powerful in times of trouble. And not only do we read about the power of God in times of trouble, but we read about the presence of God in times of trouble. Now you think about where you are in life right now. Let me just ask this question. And it really doesn't matter what age you are. Are you where you thought you would be at this point in time in your life? If you had to rate where you are in life right now, would you say everything's A-OK? That this is, exactly, this is exactly where I thought I'd be in my life? Everything just turned out great? I, I'm living a dreamlike existence? Or would you say, you know what? Man, my life is just so far out of control. My hopes, my dreams, my aspirations haven't come to fruition. I'm hurting. I'm grieving. My heart is burdened day in and day out. You need to understand something about the presence of God. Let me tell you what. When you get up in the morning and you put your feet on the ground, God is there. When you get in your car to go to work, God is there. When you labor throughout the day, God is there. When you're dealing with your troubles and your trials, God is there. When you go home at night and you lay your head on the pillow and you're praying to God and you're pouring out your heart to Him because of where you are in life, God is there. When you're having trouble sleeping because of the anxieties and heartaches that weigh so heavily upon you, God is there. That's what David is saying. So, David acknowledges that not only does God help His people, but God heals His people. Drop down, look if you would with me. In verse 18, listen to what David said. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Did you know that God specializes in healing hearts that have been broken by the sorrows of life. Did you know that? That there is a God in heaven who has the ability to heal your broken heart. The sorrows of life have overwhelmed you. You are not where you thought you'd be at this point in time in your life. And yet God has the ability he has that kind of ability. I want you to see something very quickly with me, if you would. Turn to Psalm 147. I want you to see the context here. In Psalm 147, 
I do not know who wrote this psalm. It is an inspired psalm. And in this great psalm, I want you to listen to what the psalmist said. I think the setting here, the children of Israel, they've been in captivity. You remember the prophets had told them, Jeremiah for one said, let me tell you what, you're getting, you're getting ready to go into 70 years of captivity. At the end of that 70 year siege, God is going to bring you back to the promised land. So in verse 1 he said, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Reminiscent of what David said in Psalm 34. Then he said, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. Now you think about all those people that had been deported into Babylonian exile. Many, many people had been led away into captivity. And you think about their heartaches and their sorrows. They had lost everything. They were hurting. And God said, let me tell you what, the Lord's going to build up Jerusalem. He's going to gather together the outcast of Israel. Says something about His power, doesn't it? And then listen to Him in verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds or their sorrows. You mean to tell me that there's a God in heaven who has the ability to heal your broken heart caused by the sorrows of this life? That's exactly right. If there's one thing I know about Scripture, God does not change. The same God that had the ability to heal those people who were hurting and sorrowing after having been in captivity. And God is saying, look, I can heal your broken heart. Does God have that ability today to heal your broken heart? Yes, He does. If your heart has been broken by the sorrows of this life, then let me tell you what, we serve a God who specializes in healing the sorrows of this life. Let me tell you, it might be like David Taylor. You have an accident. And that accident literally turns your life upside down. You go from being able to walk and to move around, you're completely mobile, to where you have no feeling basically below your shoulders. As he said to me this week, I can't even scratch my nose. And so, in a situation like that, what do you need? You need a specialist, don't you? You want the best neurosurgeon money can buy. Let me tell you what, when it comes to trouble and trial, you've got the specialist. You've got the one who has the ability to heal your broken heart. It's, called, it's God. Not only can God heal those who have been broken by the sorrows in life, but He can heal those who have been broken by the sins of life. Look at, again, verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite heart that is a crushed spirit. You know, there are, there are people that battle the sin problem. But to know that there is a God in heaven who will heal our sins. Listen to David in Psalm 32. And David knew something about sin. He knew something about personal sin. In verse 1 he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, 
and in whose spirit there is no guile. In verse 5, he said, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I've not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the God that we read about in Scripture. So today, it might be the case that you're here and you are dealing with a broken heart. It might be that your heart has been broken by the things of this life, just life circumstances. It might be that you're here today and you have been broken by the sins of life. You've been like that prodigal out into the far country. And you've tasted what the world has to offer and you have come away saying, you know what? There is no joy in the world apart from God. I want you to know that God will forgive you. If you've never obeyed the gospel to understand that Christ died for your sins, that He's buried, raised again the third day, if you will obey Him by putting your faith and trust in Him as the Son of God, John 8, 24, repent of your sins, confess His name, and then are buried with Him in baptism. The Bible says that God will forgive your sins, Acts 2, 38. And the Bible tells us, on behalf of God, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. That's healing power right there. God has the ability to remove the stain of sin. If you're here today, maybe you've gone back into the world and you need to be forgiven. We would encourage you to come. Let's, let's pray together. Ask God to forgive you for what's amiss in your life. If you're here and your life is chaotic, and you're hurting, and you just need, you just need the prayers of the church, for God to begin healing your broken heart. We'd be happy to pray with you today as we stand and sing.